guess I better use one of these. It's good to see everyone this morning here. Boy, it's a pretty good crowd for a holiday weekend. Memorial Day. Anybody remember what they used to, the ladies would be out on the streets selling when you were very young? You remember the little flowers? Poppies, wasn't it? Red poppies. I know some of you younger folks may not remember that, but I remember that as a child. My mom and dad would be out on the street and there'd be these ladies. I don't know who they represented. Maybe they represented local uh, organizations, but they would sell these little red poppies and you'd wear them on your... And what did they... Does anybody remember what they used to call this this holiday? Decoration Day. Yeah, it was called Decoration Day. Does anyone want to venture as to what... Decoration Day and Memorial Day is all about. Anybody want to say what it what it's for? It's to honor what? The ones who died in the war. I've noticed sometimes on the internet, like in November the 11th is the day you honor veterans, and some people will think it's a day you honor the dead veterans, but no, that's a day you honor the live ones. And this is the day you honor the dead ones, the people who have died, and all the people who have died in the wars. You know, we recognize that. And my mother used to get a whole bunch of poppies, or not poppies, a whole bunch of um, peonies, yeah, peonies. And we'd go out to the graveyards, and we'd put these on people's graves. I'd have to go. We'd spend the whole day going around putting peonies on people's graves. So I just thought I'd share that little bit of trivia with you in case you haven't Googled that or anything, you know. Anyway, so that's what this is all about. Um, Sean had a really busy week, and so he asked me to fill in for him today. Uh, I can't remember what, was it Thursday when you asked me, Sean? I can't remember. You probably don't remember either. <laughs> he, told me his, he told me his routine that he had to go through to get a dog, and I got so wore out, I didn't think I could get up here and even talk. I was so exhausted just listening to it, you know. That's what happens when you get to be my age. You start <clears throat> getting tired just when people tell you stuff they do, you know. <laughs> All right, I'll try to get off of the comedy act here. We're going to read this morning. We're still, this is the last message regarding the reclaim, the reclaim series that was done in the book of Ezra. And today's the last time for that. And um, we're looking at Ezra 9 and parts of Ezra 10. And uh, I'm, I'm going to read that just to kind of bring you into the story. It shouldn't take very long. Uh, so if you want to turn to Ezra 9, it's one through, uh, it's just the whole chapter. It's 15 verses. And then there's about four verses in chapter 10 that we'll read. So I'm going to read that right now. It says, now, when these things had been completed, the princes approached me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land according to their abominations. Those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. Lotites there. And for they had taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and for their sons so that the holy race has intermingled with the peoples of the land. Indeed, the hands of the princes and the rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. This is Ezra. And when I heard about this matter, I tore my garments, my robe, and pulled some of the hair from my head and my beard 
and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me, and I sat appalled until the evening offering. But at the evening offering, I arose from my humiliation, even with my garment and my robe torn, and I fell on my knees, and I stretched out my hands to the Lord God, Lord my God, and I said, O my God, I'm ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities have risen, risen above our heads, and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt, and on account of our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the land to, to the sword, to captivity, and to plunder, and to open shame as it is to this day. But now, for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. For we are slaves, yet in our bondage our God has not forsaken us, but has extended loving kindness to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us reviving, to raise up the house of our God, to restore its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by thy servants the prophets, saying, quote, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations which they have filled it from end to end and with their iniquity. So now do not give your daughters to their sons nor take their daughters to your sons and never seek their peace or their prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it as an inheritance to your sons forever. Unquote. And after all this has come upon us for our evil deeds and our great guilt since that thou our God hast required us less than our iniquities deserve and has given us an escaped remnant as this, shall we again break thy commandments and intermarry with the peoples who commit these abominations? Wouldst thou not be angry with us to the point of destruction until there's no remnant nor any who escape? O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous, for we have been left an escaped remnant. And as it is this day, behold, we are before thee in our guilt and no one can stand before thee because of this. Now while Ezra was, this is chapter 10. Now while Ezra was praying and making confession, weeping and prostrating himself before, prostrating himself before the house of God, a very large assembly, men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said to Ezra, We've been unfaithful to our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. Yet now there's hope for Israel in spite of this. So now let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and those who tremble at the commandment of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility, but we will be with you. Be courageous and act. Father, we pray today that the Holy Spirit will just guide our thoughts, help us to hear the word of the Lord, help us to hear your heart, 
Help us to hear the heart of these people, Lord God, that were your people and they were there. They experienced this kindness of God, this unfailing love of God to deliver them out of a land where they were slaves and they had no hope of, of changing and no hope of getting out of that place, Lord, had you not moved the heart of the king. And we thank you, God, as you show us what you did here, help us to remind ourselves, Lord, that you're the same God. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you will help us, Lord, if we call on your name and we come to you. You will do things for us on our behalf, Lord God. Thank you, God, for the mercies of Jesus, the mercies that you've shared with us, Lord God. Help us to look to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I forgot, I wanted to introduce my daughter, Abigail. She didn't ask me to do that, and I'll probably be in trouble for it later, but anyway, I'm just glad to see Abigail home and wanted to let you know we're glad to see her. And also, it's Sean's 27th wedding anniversary just a few days ago, and so that's something worthy to note. Bless his heart. Sean, well, it's not just Sean's, it's Emily's also, so. Sorry. You know, Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord, and the Lord turns it wherever he wishes. If you can think of channels of water, you know, it moves down, it takes the certain path through our land, just like a river, you know? And the Bible says God has the king's heart in his hand like that, and he can just turn that king wherever he wishes. And you can kind of see an example of that here with the kings of Persia, Darius and um, Cyrus, how God was able to just turn their heart wherever he wanted to turn it so that he could get the outcome that he wanted for the people of Israel. I wanted to make mention of that. The, the, fo the focus that I want to bring tonight, today is out of verses uh, 8 and 9 in chapter 10. It says, but now for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in the bondage. For we are slaves, yet in our bondage, our God has not forsaken us, but has extended loving kindness to us. Now that word for loving kindness there can also mean unfailing love. In some of the versions it puts unfailing love. That's a beautiful thought, unfailing love. He has given us, uh, he has extended loving kindness to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us reviving, to raise up the house of our God, to restore its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Reading out of the prophet Micah, Micah asks this question at the end of his prophecy. He says, who is a God like thee? who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession. 
He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unfailing love. I think that's an interesting commentary on God. You see this all the way through Scripture where God is like this. He's this kind of a, a God. You know, when I study the Bible, I like to know what took place here and what took place there and what was said there and stuff. But you know, more, more as I've gotten older, I like, to see, I like to see things, the character of God. I like to see who this God is. You know, I'm going to meet him one of these days, and it's getting closer. And I'd like to know who he is. I'd like to know him. I'd like to know what he thinks about me. This last year, I've been just really spending time Asking God, what? How do you see me? What do you see in me? What you know? You know, and I haven't seen some very good things, so I've had to ask God. To, you know, I've had to repent. I've had to ask God to forgive me, because I, you know, I'm going to meet Him. You are too. You may be 20 years old. You, it's not in your mind yet, but as you get closer to the time, you know, I had a good friend that went to be with the Lord just this past week, week before. And uh, him and I were very close, and he's gone now. He's gone to be with the Lord. Rick Stahl, some of you know Richard, and uh, he was a good friend of mine, a close friend. We communicated on the phone. We visited one another. And, uh, you know, it was, I walked with Rick through the times he was dying, you know. And some of you young folks don't get the opportunity maybe to do that yet. I know we had a tragedy that happened in the community last week. And that was a very sad deal. And that's like a shock to young people, you know. But when people around me my age or younger are dying, it's not a shock. It's no longer shock. It's a, it's a reality that I have to face that I'll be there. I'm going to be there soon, you know. And I don't want to make this a, you know, it's Memorial Day. I guess we could talk about death because we're honoring the sacred, you know, the dead. But the thing is, death awaits all of us. It's appointed unto man once to die. But after that, it's judgment. So this whole life, as in the words of Leonard Ravenhill, a great evangelist from England, he said this whole life is nothing but a dressing room for eternity. This whole life is nothing but a dressing room for eternity, preparation for eternity. So when God gives us stories from the word and he shows his acts and he shows his ways to us, it's important to us to want to know this God. I want to know him, you know. You know, when you go to talk to others about Jesus or talk to others, it's, a, it's not about what Jesus did and Jesus said and all that. It's, that's important, don't get me wrong. But do you know him? It's it's about ex exposing to them, showing them who he is. You know, when you walk in light, light needs to come out of you so they can see who he is. They got to see him. I don't know, that's a side note there. And Micah, when he says stuff like this, he does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in unfailing love. And when you see what Ezra is saying here, they, these are men who knew him. You know, in our bondage, God has not forsaken us in our bondage. Now, this reclaim thing, I, didn't, I couldn't find the word reclaim in the Bible. Nothing wrong with that, but I went and found some synonyms for reclaim, and I found all the words that are in the Bible for a synonym for reclaim. Synonym is a word that kind of means the same in case you're, you know, in case you're from California. Uh, 
but <laughs> my wife's in the nursery. I'm okay, I think. She's from California, you know. Okay, synonyms for reclaim. You ready? Deliver. Ransom. These are all Bible words. And I didn't get this out of a Bible uh, Google thing. I got this out of just a regular. And rescue. Save. Four words. That was the first four words I read. And they're, they're all biblical words. So to reclaim means to deliver, to ransom, to rescue, to save. All very biblical words. I thought that was pretty neat. And they're all associated with the character of our God. Out of his character, he delivers, he rescues, he ransoms. I like that word ransom. We like to use the word paid, but I love the word ransom because ransom is more of an endearing word. I've harped on this before. You know, I found out sometimes I just can't preach anything other than the stuff I've already preached because, you know, it's stuff I've shared before. But ransom is a very endearing word. When is a ransom given? It's given when there's a loved one in danger of being destroyed or killed or something that's terrible going to happen. A ransom is given. Can anyone think of who the ransom was for us? Huh? It was our Lord Jesus. Something very precious that was given because he wanted to rescue something that was precious to him, and that was us. Anyway, I just like that. So our God is a deliverer. That's his very nature. Even before the exile, God spoke through Jeremiah the prophet his desire to reclaim his people from their exile. I want to read to you from Jeremiah 32. Now, you've got to understand the, the uh, historical setting. The Babylonians are outside the city of Jerusalem, and they're hammering it. They're hammering it. They're going to destroy it. And God told the people, go out and surrender to the king of Babylon. And Jeremiah spoke those words to the king and to all the people that you need to go out and surrender to the king of Babylon because it's over. And they wouldn't listen to what he said. So they stayed in there until the, the Babylon king tore down the wall and got in inside and it was, it was uh, really difficult. I mean, but here's what Jeremiah 32, 36 through 41. I want to read this to you. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning this city of which you say it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, behold, this is God speaking to them before they're even put into exile. Behold, I will gather them out of all the lands to which I have driven them in my anger, in my wrath. And in my indignation, and I will bring them back to this place and make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. And I will rejoice over them to do them good. Look at that. I'll rejoice over them to do them good. And I will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart. 
and with all my soul. That's God. That's God speaking to Israel. Before he even puts them into exile, he says, listen, guys, I'm giving you a promise. Go out, be with Babylon, because that's where you're going to live for the next 70 years. I have determined this. Nothing's going to change that, but I want to give you a promise. I'm going to bring you back again. He gave them the promise of returning before they even got put into exile. Now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Daniel listened to it. Did you realize that I, I don't have time to take you to all those places, but Daniel was reading the book of, reading the prophet Jeremiah and he came across this scripture and he realized, oh, it's been 70 years. So he went to praying so that God would get them out of the exile and take them back. It's always been interesting to me to look at books written during the exile. Do you know the book, the exile books? We're in one of them now. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther's another one. Daniel is another one. And the only reason I bring this up is because I'm briefly, I'm just going to say some things. I'm going to recap some stories in those books, okay? You remember the story of Esther? What was that whole story about? A bad guy, right? There's always a bad guy. And then there's always a good guy. The bad guy was Mordecai, right? No, 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 the bad guy, Haman. Yeah, I got it mixed up. I, I didn't write any of this stuff down. I'm doing it from memory, okay? And that's, that's pretty well shot too. So it, <laughs> but okay, Haman was trying to destroy all of the Jews and Esther stepped up. And because she stepped up at a certain time, like her uncle Mordecai told her, he said, you know, who knows? God will bring deliverance to the Jews, but you are the one that's, you know, it's such a time as this for you to act. Yeah, that's what I thought was kind of cool in that book. But it, the whole book is about deliverance. It's about deliverance for the Jew. Now, they didn't get delivered out of their exile, but they got delivered out of being killed and exterminated. Okay? Now, you go to the book of Daniel. Good lands. How many stories of deliverance are in the book of Daniel? Now, we always wonder, Daniel, you know, here's a guy. He's right up there with the king. He's rubbing shoulders with the king, and he's, a, he's an exiled Jew. Isn't this amazing? And he survived like three kings, three or four kings. I can't even remember. But, every, you know, usually they get rid of all the guys that was with this king to bring up new guys. But Daniel, he survived. He got really old being with the king because he was such a wise man. God protected him and preserved him. And in the... In the book of Daniel, there's about 12 chapters, I think. There, it's almost every chapter is a story of deliverance, isn't it? The greatest one being, come on, huh? Well, that was what, that's the, that is a great one. That was a great deliverance. What, huh? Yes, the cat food story, yes. The one where... The one where he had been thrown into the lion's den. Another, it's all about stories of deliverance. And these stories weren't just kept within the, the citadel or in the palace. These stories filter, filtered out through the countryside. Can you imagine these old farmers out there working for the Babylonians? And they'll say, hey, did you, did you hear the latest story that just happened at the, at the palace? No, what happened? Daniel, once again, Daniel. 
he escaped. God delivered him from the mouth of a lion. God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. God delivered Daniel when he told the king what he had. Instead of killing him, they, they honored him. God is delivering Daniel. God is delivering our people from all these things. What does that do? That sparks hope inside the heart. And then they remember God said, I will deliver you from all the land where I sent you in my anger. I tell you, God's a God of deliverance. But we have to know that. We have to experience that. We have to see that. We have to recognize his hand working in this. Lord God, we need a deliverance today, don't we? And some of the stuff that's going on in the world, we need a deliverance. And I believe God will be right on time with that as we pray. Okay, I recapped all that. Deliverance is a theme throughout each book of the exile. God wanted his people to know that he was watching over them all through their captivity to reclaim them for his own. In Ezra, getting back to this, this might be one of the shortest sermons I ever preached. Okay. Let's turn to your neighbor and say, what did he mean by that? And then turn to your neighbor and say, he didn't mean anything. Okay. It means absolutely nothing. Ezra, that deliverance, okay, as we read here in Ezra, that deliverance has become a reality for them. They realize they're being delivered. God has already sent some of them back to their homeland. And it's in their minds, they're seeing the hand of God. It's like right now, God is doing this in our day. He's doing this in our day. The things that he had told us years earlier, he is doing this. And I think the important thing to notice in all this, and I'm going to just share what my thoughts are on this as I feel like the Lord gave me these thoughts. It's important to notice the response of those who now realize God's kindness and unfailing love. They're experiencing the kindness of God and the unfailing of love. They realize they have sinned. They've recognized their sin. They see their sin, how they've intermingled with the people of the, and the sinful lifestyles of the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all these ites. They got, they got themselves all into this, you know, grown into this. And they realize we've entangled ourselves with them. And God has still been kind to us. God has still brought a deliverance to us even though we've done these things. Okay, but see, what I'm trying to say is that as they, I want you to see the response. They repent of anything that would offend God, even to the point of putting away their foreign wives and their children. Now, I want to stop here and say, look, this isn't something you pull out of the Old Testament and start using on people, okay? Oh, you've got a foreign wife. You need to put her away. You know, that isn't what's taking place. We're talking about repentance. You know, I've talked to people. When I was in uh, overseas in missions, I talked to a guy one time. He was one of the best guitarists I'd ever heard in my life. He, could pl he played in Spain. He made a living in Spain playing the guitar. 
And I watched him one time. He never played the guitar for no, a long time. And one time he picked it up. He said, he, he picked it up and he started playing. I never heard anything like it in my life. I thought it was the most amazing playing I'd ever heard. But I asked him, why have you no longer, why do you no longer touch the guitar? He had repented of the guitar. Now, is the guitar evil? No. The guitar, I mean, Sam plays it. There was people all around us playing, but for him, he could not touch a guitar. And he told me later, he said, the reason I cannot do that is it consumes me. He said, I used to play that guitar 10, 12 hours a day trying to be the best there ever was. I cannot play it because it consumes me when I play it. Do you get the, okay, guitar's not evil, but for them, for him to do that, he, he had to put it away. See, if you're not careful, you go around telling people the guitar's of the devil, you don't want to play it. Are you following me? So we don't want to take a scripture like this and say, well, this is what everybody has to do. If they've married a non-believer, they got to get rid of them. No, we're not saying that isn't what this scripture is saying at all. But that was the response of the broken hearts of the people as they saw the kindness and the unfailing love of God. As they saw the response, or as they saw what God had done, it broke their hearts. They wept and wept and wept, and these were the things they did in their repentance. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what they did. The Bible's just recording, reporting that for us. We, we, you know, we can learn from this that repentance based on the kindness of God leads to strong action in our personal lives. It may, leads to a strong response in our personal life. I've talked to many people when they came, became a believer, certain things they'd turn away from because they no longer could endure those things in their life. And sometimes they weren't what I would consider evil, but that was their response as their hearts were broken before God. Repentance can never be just a mental exercise where we tell God, well, we'll try to do better, God. It is always a turning away from something that has, that's sinful. It's turning away from something that has controlled us and turning towards God. It requires us, as it says in Ezra 10.4, to be courageous and act. Be courageous and act. Out of this repentance, the people took new hope. They took hope in renewing their walk with God and renewing their relationship with God in making a covenant with God. They renewed their hope in God. God renewed their hope. God gave them a freedom. You know, hope is a freedom. Hope is, is rested in freedom. We have a freedom now, a hope that God receives us and accepts us. And that's so important for God's people to be able to do the things he's called us to. God in his unfailing love is always ready to receive us. What's so interesting is that God was always ready to receive them all the way through this. It was a time of training. It was a time of, uh, what would you call it, uh, discipline. 
when they were put into captivity. It was a time of disciplining the Jewish people so that they could come to appreciate the God they served, the God that they were supposed to know. Well, that's all I have. I do have, I want to close with one scripture out of the book of Romans, chapter 2. I know I've shared this many times with people. But this is what Romans 2.4 says. It says, this is Paul speaking. He says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. And I think, you know, we look at this, we act like it's a, a given thing. If we get God's kindness, we'll immediately repent. No, we have to settle on the fact that God has been very kind to us. We have to let that soak into our hearts and into our lives to recognize the character and kindness. He used other words here. He said the kindness, forbearance, and patience. Forbearance means he puts up with us. God puts up with us. I was, I was thinking about this. You know, in all eternity, all eternity, the Godhead never had to deliver, never had to save, never had to become rescuers in all eternity. Suddenly they make us out of the joy of God's heart, out of the abundance of God's heart. He makes a people for himself that he wants to enjoy and love. And in all that, he has to become a deliverer. In all that, he has to become a rescuer. In all that, he has to become like one of us in order to redeem us. As Peter says, he was rich, and yet for our sake, he became poor. Sometimes we need to think about that and see the kindness of God and allow that to bring us to a repentance that causes us to act courageously. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you. Father, I just can't take all this in very well. And I know you're good. We know you're good, but we don't want to say that carelessly or frivolously. I know that in your patience and in your putting up with me and things I've said and done, Lord, you've been gracious and kind. May that lead me to a heart that walks in repentance and turns away from sin quickly. Doesn't even go down that path. May today, Lord, be a turning point just like it was a turning point in the lives of your people there in Ezra. May it be a turning point where we renew our covenant with you. As we take these elements here in a little bit, Lord, I pray that as we take in the, 
the elements of the blood and the body of Jesus, Lord, it would remind us that we are in this new covenant with you and it's not to be taken lightly. Help us to be of sober mind and heart and help us to be grateful for the hope that you've given us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your plan and your work in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you like to come?